Thank you, ladies. Wonderful. All right, let's turn our Bibles, please, to Matthew 24, and then also Daniel chapter 9 this evening. And again, appreciate the church uh, praying for us as we headed over. We had a great time, as you saw on the, on the video tonight, just uh, captured a little bit of the happenings of that, uh, of that week. But we had a great time of fellowship with, uh, with God's people over there. Uh, just sense a real sincerity in their heart to uh, want to win others and just want to want to want to see the Lord work in their lives and their their families' lives and um, you know I just got used to something though while I was over there and it was just um, the minimum amount of time that they spent in each service was four hours all right so just hang on tonight four hours here we come. No, I'm joking. All right. this, some of you are like, there's a punchline somewhere. But no, but honestly, they, they hung in there for four hours each service. And um, they sung about 30 songs or one song 10 minutes long. But, um, but we really enjoyed it, enjoyed the fellowship, enjoyed the, the warmth of, um, of God's people over there. And, you know, we we're talking this morning about uh, faith promise missions and, and where missions money goes. That's where missions money goes. All right, there's, there's, as we've supported the, the Rocks for quite a while, we see the, the investment that, that he's been able to, um, to have and the an impact that he's had in people's lives. And, um, you know, if we don't go and we don't visit and we don't see the work, sometimes we can just think it's just a, another transaction, but it's not. It's, it's investment. It's relationship. And uh, I know for a fact that, um, that what they're doing over there in regard to the gospel is effectual, and there's a great work over there, and so I'd encourage you to keep praying, keep uh, being faithful in your giving that way, and I know that the Lord will raise up that that building. Um, he didn't really share; we didn't we didn't um, capture the story behind that, and and it might be something I'd like to him to pass a rock to um, send uh, the details through, but um, it's. Just to, in summary, it was a pretty miraculous way that they got that property. And um, you saw a, a snippet of me up there right on the top floor, which I'm afraid of heights, so it took a little bit for me to get up there. But once I got up there, it was just a beautiful view of the whole area. And it just reminded me again of the field that he's working in, but how we get to partner up with him and see the, the work of the Lord continue there. So I appreciate again. But we're glad to be home, glad that, um, that we got to be part of that, but uh, glad to be continuing the work here. But um, Matthew chapter 24, and just one verse, and again, we, we pick up where we left off as far as study of the rapture, and I think, um, I think Lord willing, next week will be our last one, um, and we'll, we'll just continue on after that, see how the Lord leads, but... Um, we're going to focus tonight on, on Daniel's 70th week prophecy. And I'll tell you, it, it is the key when it comes to understanding the end times. And, and even Jesus himself in the, his whole Olivet Discourse here, he, he centers all of that around verse 15 where he affirms the importance of that prophecy in Daniel. And in verse 15, he the Lord Jesus simply says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And so this, this 
teaching of the Lord Jesus about the end times in regard to the nation of Israel in, in response to the question of the disciples was, was centered around understanding of the, the prophet Daniel and what he spoke about regarding the abomination of desolation. And so let's go there. Look at Daniel chapter 9. So go to Daniel chapter 9, and, and if you bear with me tonight, I promise I won't be four hours, but I might be a little longer tonight, all right? So just hang in there. I do want to finish this, this part of um, our study because uh, it's just, uh, I think it's just, a, a, again, a, to get an understanding. He says, whosoever readeth, understand. All right, and so it's important for us to understand this. And, and to be honest with you, as I studied through it, there were a lot of things that I, I, I believe I learned along the way as well. And sometimes when you're teaching through this particular thing, if you've been saved a little while, there's been probably several people who's taught on Daniel's 70th week prophecy. But what I've found and what I've, I've, I've found as I study this is um, sometimes we forget the context of the whole chapter. And we only study the pertinent parts, but it belongs in a context. And what I recognized is uh, just a rule when we study the scriptures if the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense, all right? The Bible is written to be understood. And whilst there are things hard to be understood, there are some things that just when you read through it in the context of what is happening, it's just plain sense, all right? So um, we mentioned last week that because of the way we, uh, it's often described, our stand on the rapture is based on really our belief about the tribulation. And even the exactness of the rapture is based around the tribulation. So we describe our position in, in uh, doctrinally as far as the rapture is concerned as the pre-trib rapture, which means that we have to have a clear understanding about what the tribulation is all about. And so that's really the subject matter that we're going to get to regarding Daniel's 70th week because that's really another name for the tribulation period. And as I mentioned, Daniel is the key to the end times prophecy. And so we, we read here in, um, in, in verse 9, he's had other visions, he's had uh, the understanding of the kingdoms. But in exile, Daniel, who the Bible says is highly favored by God, has visions and revelations about the end times. And in this chapter, he's, he's really, he's praying for God's wisdom about Israel, right? He confesses the rebelliousness of his people in verses 4 to 19. He, he desires her rescue. And the whole prayer was about the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem and when this captivity was going to end. And the answer comes in the form of Gabriel coming in verses 21 to 23 and the meaning of the 70, 70 weeks was relayed to him. And, and really this had to do with what Jeremiah had previously prophesied about the 70 years in Babylon. All right, and, and again, we, we've got to understand the context that it's all about an understanding of the nation of Israel and their, their captivity and then what that truly means. And we're going to find that actually as, as, as God responds through Gabriel, He's going to make that clear, all right? And so Gabriel then expounds in, in answer to Daniel's prayer. And that's what we commonly know in verses 24 to 27. That's what we commonly know as Daniel's 70th, 70th week prophecy. 
Okay, and yet sometimes again, when we study through this 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 subject, it's often those last few verses that we just focus on and forget the whole context. All right, this was an answer to Daniel's prayer. This was in 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 relation to an inquiry Daniel was making regarding the captivity of the nation of Israel and the things that they were going through, and so it directly has to relate to Israel. Okay, and so we're going to read through that. Um, and, and again, it had to do with those 70 weeks of years and prophecy regarding the nation of Israel with the 69 to be fulfilled and then a gap of, a, of time until the 70th week of the prophecy was then to come to be. And, and really, this prophecy is key to understanding the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, as Jesus himself declares but then the unraveling of that in Revelation chapter six, chapter six, right through to chapter nineteen, and and what it does, if we study through this, it, it really strengthens the literal hermeneutical approach for prophecy. It's the way we study it is is literal, and, and what we'll see is if the first sixty nine weeks are fulfilled literally, as almost everybody agrees, then it's only reasonable that the seventieth week will be fulfilled as well. Right, so the 70 weeks are totally in reference to that inquiry that Daniel makes about the 70 years. All right, and Regarding Israel, regarding the, the surrounding Gentile, Gentile powers, and then what God's purpose and all of that is. So let's begin and, and look at verse 1. And really verses, verses 1 right through to uh, about verse 21 is really firstly Daniel's prayer. Right, that's the first part of the chapter is Daniel's prayer. So in verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So he, he makes a time signature there. In the first year of his reign, so in the first year of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he's asking a question. He's, he's making inquiry about what these 70 years means according to the prophecy given to Jeremiah. All right, so it's important to note that the prophecy given later on through Gabriel was really a response to Daniel's own inquiry about Jeremiah's own prophecy. So, so this was Daniel trying to gain clarity about the scriptures and his understanding of it. So it's a good practice when we're studying something in the Word of God, if we don't understand it, to go to God in prayer. <laughs> there's, that's a, there's a pretty clear uh, application there. And although much of scriptural prophecy, as we understand it, came from direct revelation, remember the, the Bible was written, right? Holy men of God wrote, as they, move, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Um, we know that there's no private interpretation. And this demonstrates that. It's built, this inquiry was built on other divine revelation. And this was given through as a clarity, as a clarifying through Daniel's prayer. So this isn't Daniel just sort of making it up. He's actually earnestly seeking God to understand what these 70 years means. And in face value, Daniel was probably thinking something, but God elaborates on it as, as Gabriel comes. And so, 
The first thing we, we understand in verses 1 and 2 is the place and time of asking. Okay, so the place of asking and the, and the time of asking. And so it's, it's clear. It's in the first year of Darius. It's in his first year of reign. Okay, we know that Daniel was in exile in the city of Shina, Babylon. It was probably the northern capital of that, that empire at the time. And it is said that this is to be around 538 BC, according to historical records. So we, we, we know, and, and by the way, if you're not awake to it, the Bible is a historical book, all right? And there's many things that we can, we can, uh, we can cross-reference. Cross we understand that the, the Bible is, is 100% accurate. And he's saying that this was a time when Daniel inquired in the first year of, of Darius's reign. It was in the place of Shinar. We know that that's the place and time of asking. Now, verse 2, there was a purpose of him asking. Okay, we, we read it already. He says there in, in, in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by, the, by books the numbers of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Okay, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So now the purpose of him asking of this prayer was him inquiring about Jeremiah's prophecy regarding Israel. Now, let's, let's look at that because that's in the Bible. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 25 is where we find it. Jeremiah chapter 25, and notice verses 11 and 12. So this is in regard to Judah's captivity, the, the, the southern kingdom, and, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. So he's saying, actually, Israel, you've got 70 years of this captivity of this destruction he, he that was jeremiah's prophecy now he reiterates that look at ch chapter 29 now jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10 for thus saith the lord that after 70 years be accomplished at babylon i will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place and then we often hear this verse quoted out of context, right? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, right? And I've seen that, and sometimes we use that as a birthday greeting, or if someone wants, you know, has a, a desire, we quote that, and it's just a random verse. But it's in the context of the 70 years. It's in the context of the fact that God promised that even though they were in exile and even though there was going to be a destruction of the, the temple, that after 70 years, God was going to visit them again, and they were going to be rescued out of this. And so that's what Daniel was inquiring about. And so Jeremiah wrote this prophecy to those in exile regarding 70 years of Judah, Judah's exile to Babylon. And, and so he's asking this, and, and he has a premise. Daniel has a premise of which he asks. So he's not just asking this because because he just wanted to ask. He was asking this because he's seeing the nation. He's going through it. He's in that moment. He's in exile himself. All right, so he says in um, 
in, in verse 3 to 4, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. In, in verse 9, he says, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. In verse 18, he says, O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. He's making an appeal on the grounds of the, the covenant relationship that Israel has with God. He's making an appeal about the fact that they were found in exile when they were his covenant people. And he's reminding God of the fact that he is a merciful God. And so he asks, what he's asking, the premise of him asking is if the captivity is over really in the context of God's covenant promises to his people. All right, and again, it's, it's important to note that. This, this, this whole chapter has to do with Daniel asking about Israel and the end of their captivity. The end, is this the 70 years, he's saying. And, and so if the captivity is over, he's appealing based on the covenant God made with his people. And then in verses 9 and verse 18 that we read, he asks if God will release them on the premise that God in all of it is merciful. That's his appeal. That's the premise of him asking is they're in exile, they're in captivity. He's, he's trying to look at, at how, how this is going to come to an end. And so he reads the, the prophecies of Jeremiah and now he's asking about is this to be? And God, you're a merciful God. And God, can I remind you of your covenant uh, promises to Israel that, that you, you will be their God and that you will, you will find them even in their times of trouble and you will, you will seek for our good. And that's the premise of him asking. And, and in all of this, he's making profession of the fact that, that they were at fault that actually he's not even questioning why they're in captivity. He knows that they rebelled. And so if you follow on in the reading, he says in verse 5, We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. And, and that was the reality of God's people as you read through the nation of Israel, even though they were the chosen and the elect, even though God had laid out for them the very covenant promises and the very laws and the very ways of which they were going to get blessed, they still continued to turn their back on God. They still went after other gods and he's saying that we have sinned. Then, then he says in verses 8 to 10, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face. To our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And he's going on, he's saying, we've transgressed. We've sinned. In verse 15, and now, O Lord our God, that thou, uh, that, that has brought 
thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renowned as, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee. Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. They had, the city was destroyed. And he's looking at that. He's mourning after it. But he's saying we deserve it. We've sinned. And so he's professing these things. And his appeal is really paired with his confession of the sinfulness of Israel. And what he was specifically asking God to do, we, we read there in verses, verses, uh, verse 15, He's saying, just like you did, just like you did for Israel in the past, where you rescued them out of Egypt, will you rescue Israel again? He says, he's asking that they would be led out of captivity from Babylon like he did for them out of Egypt. We read that in verse 15. But then he says in verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake, he's also asking that they would be able to see the temple of God built again in Jerusalem. He's saying it's desolate. It's a place of worship. And uh, if you read through the, the, the building of the temple that Solomon built, the glory of it, you understand that, that the, all of the sacrifices that, that uh, Solomon made that day after it was built and God's presence was felt, all of the the Shekinah glory of God was there. And you, you think about then, because that's the center of their worship to God, then the, the shame of it that it was destroyed. And that's what Daniel was concerned about. Is the city of Jerusalem, the people of God, and their ability to worship. He's saying that, that is needed to be repaired and he's asking that he would be able to see the temple of God rebuilt in Jerusalem and then simply in verse 19, he says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. So again, this is all referring to Israel. He's saying here, forgive our sins as a nation. Forgive our sins as the people of God. Forgive our sins as a city. Forgive our sins as those who have rebelled and have sinned, and now we find ourselves in this situation, he's appealing to God's mercy to forgive. And that's his petition. That's what he's asking for. And then, because of all of that, then he gets a response. And so, in response to this, God sends Gabriel to give Daniel great understanding. Notice in verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, again, in reference to the temple, in reference to Jerusalem, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So around the evening sacrifice, he gets, he gets a bit of a tap on the shoulder, perhaps. And here, lo and behold, an angelic being, Gabriel, comes. 
And here's the, the perception he gets. We see this now. He's going to elaborate on the 70 weeks. And it's actually a clarification from the Lord about Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years. And, and what, what we see here is a very important doctrinal uh, tool or interpretation tool of, of um, prophecy. And it's what we call a double fulfillment. And what God does at times, he will give a prophecy with a short-term value. So the short-term value is in this is about the captivity that Jeremiah prophesied about and the 70 years. That's the short-term value. But now God's about to elaborate that isn't just for that. That's just the, the, the first fulfillment. And the, the law of double fulfillment is that God at times will give a, a prophecy with a short-term value but then he'll give a deeper meaning that's got an even longer-term value. So the longer-term value is the things that'll come for Israel. Okay, another example of this, I'll give you another one. Look at Hosea chapter 11. So God does this a lot, right? He does this a lot regarding prophecy. And it's something that you've got to think through. But the, the, the beauty about this is we've got the New Testament, all right? That's why you should study the Old Testament and then study the New Testament, because the New Testament will clarify. And in Hosea 11.1, 1, there's a prophecy, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now that might sound familiar to you because it's used in reference to who? The Lord Jesus, when he had to sojourn into Egypt. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Remember, he, the, Herod, Herod wants to kill all of the, the children two years and under because he finds out there's another king because of the Magi that were seeking for, for, the, for the Lord. And so being warned in the dream, um, God tells Joseph to go and flee into Egypt for a while. And, and notice what the Bible says, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. And so in the first place, we see Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, it was really in reference to, to the Exodus. It was in, really in reference to the fact that God, just like he did with the nation of Israel in previous times, he was going to do again. But actually there's a fulfillment there in Jesus's, just his early life. And the Bible makes that clear for us. So we see that this whole idea of double fulfillment in Scripture is something God often uses in regard to, um, to prophecy. And so that, that was the perception that he was given as, as Daniel prayed. And, and again, I think it's really important for us to note the, the context of which this prophecy is given. Right? This prophecy wasn't randomly given to Daniel. It was given as a result of Daniel asking for clarification about a specific people, Israel, and about a specific city, Jerusalem. So everything that has to do with this is a response to that. So whatever Gabriel now says is in the context of what Daniel was asking in the first place. All right, that's really important. And so now we see Gabriel's response, and the, the response he is, is from Gabriel, who is referred to um, in relation to this and then other announcements, specifically 
the birth of John the Baptist and then also the birth of the Lord Jesus. He is the angel that God sends to convey a message or make an announcement, and that's his, that's his role. Some say he's an archangel, and, and some contend that even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, where the voice of the archangel is heard, that that possibly could be Gabriel, because it's again in relation to the end times. All right, but we don't, we're not sure about that. We just know that Gabriel appears several times in Scripture, and it's often to make an announcement. It's often to make an announcement about something, all right? And, and so in verse 24, as we continue, so now he's come in, now he's, he's touched Daniel. And in verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So Daniel, I'm going to respond to what you're asking about. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. So now he's saying, you've asked, I'm going to give you clarity. You're greatly beloved, you're favored, and I want to show you something. So God sends Gabriel to elaborate, and now he begins in verse 24. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So he's saying it's, it's actually those 70 years are represented of 70 weeks of years. All right, and so firstly, the question that, that really Gabriel asks is, is, who does this prophecy apply to? And the answer is simply found in verse 24. It says there, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, if the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. Right? So what does this prophecy, who does this prophecy have to do with? Israel. So 69, he's going to talk about 70 and six, uh, three score and two Years and then he's going to talk about another week, and that's equal to 70 weeks. But who does this prophecy apply to? Thy people, Israel, thy holy city, Jerusalem. All right, what, what does this prophecy refer to? It, the prophecy refers for the 70 weeks of years. Okay, 70 times week of years is 490 years of Israel's prophetic history. Now, uh, you might be wondering, well, how did you get? How did you get 70, year, uh, 70 weeks is, 70, uh, is, is seven years? And the, it was common in that day. Uh, we see right through the, the Old Testament that often when a week is referred to in regard to a, a question about years, it was often seven years and it was a week of years. And we know that in, in Genesis chapter 29, verse 27, when, when Jacob finds out that he married the wrong girl, right? He was shocked. And he goes to Laban and he says, well, what do I do? Well, Laban goes, if you want to marry uh, Rachel instead, like you desired, then um, fulfill her week. He says, work another seven years. So the understanding is there is a week is seven years. Okay, And in the context of his asking, 70 years is 70 weeks. So it's 70 times seven. That's 490 years of Israel's prophetic history. And this prophecy has these goals for fulfillment. Notice in verse 24 again. Okay, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, 
to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity okay, and to bring in to everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And so all of those things are, again, in regard to the nation of Israel. He's saying, remember, he was confessing all of these things of rebellion, of sin, of iniquity, of transgression. He was saying all of this about the nation of Israel. They had rebelled. And, and, and God was going to bring them to some judgment. And, and he's, he's saying all of these will be fulfilled by the end of the 70 weeks. Okay, what were those things? It was to finish a transgression make an end to sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. And again, that list has to do with the nation of Israel. And, and I want to tell you, this, this to me speaks of the fact that this can't, this can't be a prophecy regarding the church at all. Because if we're in Christ Jesus, actually the transgression is finished. Actually, there is, there is an end of sins. Actually, there has been a reconciliation for iniquity. Actually, we are in righteousness in Christ Jesus. And actually, the spirit of prophecy is in Christ Jesus. And actually, he's already been anointed in this sense that he was a willing sacrifice. So actually, for the church, all of this has been fulfilled. But for Israel, it is not. Now you're saying, oh, so you're saying that, that none of Israel can be saved. No, no, listen. Anyone can be saved by believing in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but national Israel, the Bible's very clear about their position right now. They've not been cast away, but they've been blinded. Why? For their transgression. Look at, look at Romans chapter 11. Look at Romans chapter 11. And Paul, Paul answers this question, and he says there, and we won't take the time to read the whole chapter, he asks the question, God uh, hath not cast away the people, and he, he's, 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 he's reiterating that God is still seeing Israel as his chosen people. But notice verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now he pauses, he's dealing with Israel at the rejection of Christ. And who does he deal with now? A predominantly Gentile church. It's a time of the Gentiles. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written... There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So his, his heart is that national Israel will be saved, but that has not yet come. Right? There's, 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 there's a lot of things that we see in Israel that is not. The temple worship hasn't been restored. All of those things haven't come to be. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Notice the future tense there. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, ye have not now, ye have yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed, not through 
your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. He's saying there that there's been a pause now in his economy with Israel. They've been blinded in part. Why? Because of their unbelief. And there's going to be a time, though, where he says there that he's going to save Israel and he's going to take away their sins. There's going to be a time. But the time is not yet. Okay, so Israel as a nation has not been cast away by God, but has been temporarily put away, put, uh, put, uh, put to, to the side. He's been temporarily, temporarily blinded them until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And so, so this, this prophecy is referring to that. The fact that, that there's going to be a time where uh, finally her, her 70 weeks will be fulfilled. And so when will this prophecy begin? He answers that in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So how many is that? That's 69 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. But then there's that first part, that seven weeks, right? And the, the, there will be a rebuilding and then three score and two weeks. So we'll see the divisions in a bit. But when will this prophecy begin? It'll be when there was a commencement of the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem and consequently the temple. And, and really we can find that as historical record. It was on the 14th of March, 445 BC. Okay, that was the date of the Persian edict or decree to restore and build Jerusalem. And it's established as the first of Nisan, okay, 445 BC. And that's a starting point for the 70 weeks. Okay, so Nehemiah 2.1 explains that to us, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it into the king. Now, it had not been before time sad in his presence. We won't read the rest of the chapter, but the king goes, why are you sad? Nehemiah tells him, I'm sad because of the ruin of the walls of Jerusalem. And right there, the eschatological time clock for Israel starts. It's the first seven weeks. Right? He says they're seven weeks. Okay, so from this time forward, it would be 69 weeks. Now, for the Jewish calendar, that's 360 days. It's very different to our Greco-Roman calendar. Okay, 360 days in a Jewish year until Messiah is presented. We can, we can find out that the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was to proclaim his Messiahship. It was in Matthew 21.9. And again, we can work it out around the surrounding circumstances. We won't take the time for the sake of time tonight. But this dates to be the 6th of April, 32 AD. Now, if you do the maths on that, that's 69 times 7 times 360. If you're quick at maths, like me, 173,880 days. You know what the difference between... 14th of March, 445 BC is, and the 6th of April, 32 AD. It's 173,880 days. Now you tell me God's not God. <laughs> That's his prophecy. He prophesied to the very day. And so he, he makes divisions, though, in this prophecy. He says, firstly, there's a seven weeks, or 49 years, seven times seven, is the rebuilding of the of, of Jerusalem and, and the temple and the wall and so forth. 
that was fulfilled in, in 445 to 396 BC. That's 49 years. Then he says there six, uh, sorry, in uh, verse 25, and three score and two weeks. So the next division is 62 weeks. That's 434 years. And um, he says there that, that at that point, uh, Messiah, the prince shall, uh, shall be, uh, and at three score and two weeks, the, the, the street shall be built again, the wall. And after three, three score and two weeks, verse 26, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And so Messiah is to be crucified, and we know that that happened in 32 AD. And the reference to the, the city and the temple here that's, that's going to be, and the people of the prince shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with flood, and unto the end of the word war, desolation, are d- determined. And so it's a reference to the city and the temple being destroyed again through overwhelming force. We see that flood and war. And really that was fulfilled by the invasion of Titus in 70 AD when the Romans occupied Jerusalem and scattered the Jews. Okay, so the, the people of the prince to come is referring to the Romans of which a revived empire will come. We'll know that in Revelation 12 and 13. We know that this prince to come is referring to the Antichrist who will come from a mixed heritage like the Roman Empire that overtook Jerusalem in 70 AD. So the Bible is just proclaiming future things here. And then the next division, so seven weeks, then 62 weeks, that's 69, there's going to be a gap. And uh, he goes in verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So then there's there's the seven-year period and that's going to culminate in the second coming of Christ. The prince to come, the Bible says here, will make a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. In the midst of that seven years, he will cause all the sacrifices to cease, and he sets himself up as God in the temple. And this is where we started. Jesus refers to it in, in Matthew 24, 15. So the 70th week has to belong to the 69 weeks, right? And the 69 weeks, all of it has to do with the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, so why is it that we would think that the 70th week somehow has to apply to anyone else? It can't. And he's referring again, this is a response to inquiry. The inquiry was what will happen to Israel and what will happen to Jerusalem based on Jeremiah's prophecy. And so Jesus affirms this in Matthew 24, 15. We, again, we, uh, we read it earlier. He refers to this passage, he cites in the context of his appearing, a reference to his second coming, which again is different to the rapture, and Jesus affirms the importance of Daniel's 70th week prophecy, and all that Daniel said is affirmed by Christ, it's a prophecy about his people, Israel, it's a prophecy about his his city, Jerusalem, and it's a prophecy about tribulation for the repentance of the Jews. And we know in, in, in verse 21 in Matthew 24, it says, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And so his whole, his whole premise of, of this, Jesus' teaching, is that there will be this time of the 70th week. And so what's our learning tonight? I know I went quick, but we went over time too. So our learning, the 70th week of prophecy of Daniel can only relate to the nation of Israel, which means that the tribulation period must only be related to Israel as God's elect. Uh, we again, the 70th week is a figurative, figurative of a week of years, meaning seven years. So 70 times seven is 490 years of Israel's eschatological time clock. Israel's, Israel's clock stopped at the conclusion of the 69th week when Jesus is rejected corporately by national Israel. 
culminating in his crucifixion. And now we're in a time period that's really a parenthetical one. It's a mystery. It's a pause. And we're now in that time, of, time period of God pausing his, his clock with Israel. And what we are, we're in the time of the Gentiles. It's the church age. It's a mystery or the age of grace well, like we find in Romans 11. And the rapture, okay, the pre-tribulation rapture will signal the removal of the church. And again, we won't take the time, but, but never ever does God really deal with Israel and the church at the same time. But the rapture will signal the removal of the church and then the dealing of God again with Israel to complete their 70 weeks. Why? Because we know it's clear. 69 weeks was doled out for Israel and Jerusalem. And so the 70th week prophecy of Daniel, the tribulation period, it's got to do with them too. And so we can confidently say based on that, the rapture must happen before the 70th week. Right, so if biblically Daniel's 70th week prophecy is an answer in response to a prayer about the Jews, and the response was that it had to do with 70 weeks of years worth of prophetic history of the Jewish people, then can this affirms that indeed Daniel's prophecy had to do with national Israel, then can any part of it be about the church? No. Okay, the rapture must be before this 70th week as it only has to do with Israel and the surrounding Gentile powers and God's ultimate judgment on this world and its sins. And so next week I'm going to finish and we're going to look at the two other points of exactness, roughly, and we're going to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each. But I want to show you again biblically, I hope that's laid a groundwork, it's got to be the pre-trib. You know, the, the, it's the, the dealings of God. He says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And so he's dealing with national Israel here. He's not dealing with anyone else. And so if we take Daniel at his word, which we should, because Jesus took Daniel at his word, then it can only be that. And so that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the, the good attention that people, your people gave tonight. Pray that, Lord, as they study, as they meditate, that, Lord, they would understand just, the, Lord, just the, the, the truth of your word, how plain and simple it really is. And that, Father, Lord, although it, it's, there's great, still great mystery in your word, Lord, there's great clarity and there's great, great understanding that you give us and you desire to give us. So I pray that you'd help us tonight. Lord, we're in this age now where we can... Lord, look, look forward to that, that great call one day to come up hither. And yet, Lord, we have those around us who, if, the, if it was to happen today, they wouldn't know. So I pray you help us, Lord, to understand then our responsibility. And Lord, understand then, Lord, just, uh, just that, not, not, that it's not just knowledge that we have, but it's an action that we're supposed to take. So I pray that you'd help us as we get into the rest of this week, in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen.